Hi, this is Neil Curran, and you're listening to the Neil Plus One podcast. Very excited about this week's guest on the podcast, Josh Nichols. He is the owner of Spectacles Improv Engine in Orange County, California. And to me, he's one of the most inspiring people that I've met in the improv world, and incredibly humble. I love talking improv with Josh, and I love watching how the scene has evolved in Orange County, probably down to Josh and the work that he does. So I do hope you enjoy it. Hello. <laughs> Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Introduce yourself for the record. Uh, my name is Josh Nichols. I uh, own and operate the Spectacles Improv Engine in Orange County, California. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. Um, we finally have done it. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited that you're excited. <laughs> this is why I wanted to get into podcasting. <laughs> yeah. This is all just to get me on here? Just to get you on here. I'm done there after this. Yeah, well, <laughs> this could have been so much easier because I would have just done it any time. Well, joking aside, you've been a, a bit of a hero of mine in the improv, uh, in the improv world. We met at Improv Utopia East mm-hmm. in 2014 or was it 2013? I can't remember. That makes sense. I think it was 14. Whatever the first year of it was. And, and you're doing something special in Orange County with Specs. So tell us a little bit about um, tell us a little bit about the inception of the scene there and what happened when sure. you did. Sure, uh, it's, it's such an interesting story to me um, because I think if I went into starting Specs with the goal of getting to where I'm at, I would have gone insane, right? But it just started as one team, and we just were uh, seven guys that. Um, we're just seven guys that were doing short form and having a fun time and I was like hey I'm pretty good at running stuff and coaching stuff and teaching so I was like I'm gonna let's start another team and so some of us branched off and we started another team is that gonna be a problem <laughs> uh, um, did you start another team is yeah that gonna be a problem? no no so well just <laughs> yeah right now I just fired up another team so we're, we're actually in Cambria Cambria at the moment for Utopia West so there's a bit of background there's some classes Amy Gorlick, is she teaching in? If she's teaching mm-hmm. in the room next to us, there's a coffee machine making noise. Yeah. So anyway. Okay. Uh, um, and then, so from that, we started other teams, and then we started inter- like doing more. What happened is we got a really great space, like a deal with the space we're at, and I said, hey, I know some other teams that want to come in and play, and the guy there had been burned by so many improv teams. He said, I don't want more teams. I want more of you guys. And I'm like, oh. oh. So... We started more teams. It's kind of spiraled into what it's become, totally organically, just by innocent choice after innocent choice, just doing what we thought was fun. And then it became a point where, like, oh, this is more than just friends, uh, friends in a living room that do shows every once in a while. This is actually like something legit. Um, so, like at this point, it started with like seven of us, and now we're up to over 109. We're about 109 performers in our community. So, what made the theater owner go no? What was different about you guys, do you think? One, um, we're uber respectful. We were thankful and uh, because we had cut our teeth performing um, in, like, bars and coffee houses. So we, like, respected, uh, we respected the fact that we, uh, that we were in a theater. Like, it was exciting. Um, and so, like, when we got in there, we're like, we're going to treat it with tons of respect. Um, also, like, we brought people. So a lot of improv teams weren't bringing people. So, like, we had good fans, right? Uh, and they liked our shows. They would stick around every once in a while and just be like, okay, they're doing something legit, you know? Um, they're not just messing around with their friends. Um, so I think all of that uh, caused them to trust us. And really early on, we got keys to the building. 
uh, and I've just become like lifelong friends with the people that run that theater, you know. It's it's a lovely space. So it's in Fullerton. Yeah. And I know that <coughs> on the few occasions I've been in town, there's been a play on in the theater mm-hmm. at the same time. So you, you have your shows later that day. I remember the first time, I, maybe it was a Tennessee Williams play, perhaps. It could have been, yeah. Elliot, those doors and staircases. But the another time when the IFL, the IFL tournament was on, which is your improv, improv something league. It's like a, yeah, it, uh, it doesn't stand for anything on purpose. We no. just want it to sound like a sports league, and IFL does. Uh, it is our sports-themed uh, improv show. Right, right. Yeah. And yeah, the time I was there to see that, it was like, I don't know, it was like the backdrop was prison or something. It was very, <laughs> yes. very smart, which kind of added to the whole competitive nature yeah. of what you were doing. Yeah. Um, so uh, before we talk a little bit more about that, t- tell us a little bit about your improv journey. Uh, well, starting in high school when I was 14 years old, there's a really successful uh, like high school league in my area called Comedy Sports, um, which is like something kind of born out of theater sports. It's like a you know um, competitive sports improv, and that's where I started. And then after college, uh, I decided like we were going to do sketch, and we were doing sketch, and then out of sketch, I met people like Matt Thomas. Uh, and we went, you know what, uh, Matt went, people really love improv. And I was like, oh, yeah, let's do some improv again. So got back into improv. Um, didn't take it exceptionally seriously for, I would say, you know, like for a couple of years when we started after that. But then what happened was I was like, I want to get better at this. And so uh, out of all the people on the team, I was like, I'll go take classes and I'll bring back what I learned to us. And because no one else really was, like, in the position to do that, and I was, um, I started getting better at improv, you know, and, like, teaching, and I was coaching those teams. And so, essentially, because of just, like, oh, let's do this, I ended up becoming a coach and a teacher through that process just because someone needed to do it. Um, That was um, pretty awesome. So then after that happened, I started taking – way more seriously and seeking opportunities to become the best improviser I could be finding out what I love to do on stage and the work that I enjoy yeah uh, so that's kind of where I'm at now um, I like all the cart masters I look for opportunities to study and train with master impro- improvisers and add that into my game um, and not so much focus on a particular theater yeah. so if I can go straight for the juggler with the hard question What's it like running an improv theater in a space that where you're so close to LA? So you're so close to this hub of you know countless improv theaters, names. What's that? What's the challenge of that? Like? Well, um, it's an interesting question because I'm I'm a huge believer in that um, limitations are strengths, right? And and like I think a lot of theaters near LA probably lose people if they don't look like if they don't think about it in a way of how can I create the best possible space for an artist or an improviser to be at to where they won't they won't want to leave because they enjoy being there right so what's ended up happening is I think we've done a fairly good job at that what the result has been is people go into LA to study improv and get better at it and do some stuff there but then once they've experienced LA they come back to Orange County and they stay with us and do shows with us so I get the benefit of people being trained by some of the awesome masters that are in LA or I also get the benefit of being able to bring those people out very easily to our community Um, so when it comes to challenges 
uh, I would really think the only challenge I could say is sometimes we invite people out and they can go home. Like, because I'd like to have someone out for like a weekend and see a bunch of shows and do like, you know, like have a bigger stay. But they go, I'm only 45 minutes away from home. I'm going to go home. You know, uh, so I really think that's the only challenge that I've really had. Also, like a huge thing is, is if I ever want to get an alum, alumni of Specs that like helps put us on the map by making it big in some way, right? I have to let totally be okay and thrilled that they would go out to LA and hopefully connect and do something with their career. So when people decide like, hey, I'm gonna focus on going to LA and trying to make that career happen, I get excited because um, I'm like, oh good, now I have people trying to really strive uh, to become something. And I always say like, your success is my success and if you guys ever make it to be famous, just be prepared for how often I mention your name associated with us, you know? Um, so I think, uh, I really don't see it as a challenge. I see it as a strength. And uh, continuing from that then, you know, being so close to LA, uh, but being an independent theater, mm -hmm. um, that kind of gives you, well, being any independent theater, it gives you the luxury of not being married to a particular approach or style of improv. Sure. So you're not teaching an IO curriculum, you're not teaching UCP. Yeah. But you've got your own curriculum. So how has that evolved or, um, you know, grown over the years. Yeah, because so many of those schools are essentially teaching you to perform at those schools, meaning we want you to be on a Herald team here, or we want you to start writing sketches for our theater, right? So their whole goal is to their whole goal is to grow people into people that perform there. Uh, because I haven't had to worry about that. I've literally only thought about what do I think creates the highest probability for quality improv, Right? And not so much like what's the funniest or what is the one that, you know, connects most with like uh, a Herald or any of that. It's literally just been what do I think creates consistently the highest quality improv. I always talk about it in terms of batting average, right? Like not every scene's going to be great. You can do everything right and the scene's going to be terrible. You can do everything wrong and the scene will be great. But it's if you have skills and techniques that get you the highest batting average, um, that's uh, that's that's what you want to strive for. So I've worked uh, at a very organic improv, a grounded, realistic improv. This is what we teach. Uber uh, connected improv. Tons of like, all starts with like eye contact and um, reading the subtleties of what's present, you know, um, because I want it to look like theater. I want to pretend, or pretend, I want everyone to be treated like they're geniuses. Right? So I treat my scene partners like they're geniuses. I treat my audience like they're geniuses. Like, I don't need to come right out and say, like, oh, here's the who, what, where. Because we will figure it out together as long as we pretend it always is. Right? And I think some people are so focused on like, the comedy element that they come up with a process to, like, let's just get that who, what, what air out so we can get start being funny. Um, and I like to have like a more theatrical improv that might be funny and it might also be touching. Um, and that's what I focused on. I also think it makes you funnier in general. When you're connected, and you're making things matter. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure people are getting this as they listen to you. Um, but one of the things I've noticed about you is you're probably very humble. So you, you know, you're, you're the backbone. Or you're, I don't want to speak out of turn, so correct me if I'm wrong. But you, you are certainly a major part of the backbone of the improvising in the but uh, one of the things I admire about you, because it's something I try to do, something Nick Armstrong does as well, is you don't make it about you, you make it about everyone. 
Say it again. You don't make it about you, you make it about improv. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have always said that improv is my master, which I means I make decisions based on what's best for improv. And every time I've made a decision for that, it comes back and it serves me. And I've noticed other people who do make decisions based on money. And I understand why that happens, because you have to pay rent, or you have people to pay. I get it, I understand. But I notice that those decisions generally are short-sighted. You know, like you'll make a decision like, yeah, let's just move people on to the next level of our training course. Let's just move them on. Because you want them to sign up again. You don't want to dissuade them from like leaving your, um, leaving your program. But like in this example, I think actually saying, no, you need to work better to move on to like the next, or to be certified in this particular focus. Um, makes them want to work harder and when they get it they earned it it feels like I achieved this right as opposed to like oh, well they pass everybody you know so like because I go what's best for improv what's best for improv is for them to actually understand that skill and be able to habitually uh, use that skill right so um, improv is always my master and then underneath that is what's best for Spectacles Improv Engine the community and the company so those are my decision making processes and all the times all the time I make decisions that would that hurt me as a performer but aren't in my best interest, Josh's best interest. Um, but I know that they're good for improv and I know that they're good for specs. And no one can challenge me on those decisions, right? They don't have like a tenable ground to be like, well, you made the decision because it helps you. Um, uh, I feel like I'm unassailable when it comes to that. You know, I've always made decisions on what's best for improv and then specs. Another, another juggler question for you, Josh. Sure. And another thing I've noticed about Specs is that you've got a very diverse uh, student base and performer base in all aspects of life. And people of all ages, people of all backgrounds. And it really stands out to me because you don't often see that. Um, in, in, you, know, you don't see that in every scene, in every community. Now, I'm not saying that people are, you know, that other people are creating a problem, but it yeah. just seems to happen more naturally. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. Is there any, any thoughts around that? Or there's a there's a couple things. Um, one, in the beginning, I just treated everyone like people, and that's what that is the, the my big thing is everyone's an individual. People aren't part of some demographic, right? Um, and you're, in a second, I'm going to sound hypocritical, but for now, that's where it started. Everyone's just an individual. You're not this. You're not that. You're just you're just you. And I always treated everybody on that same plane. Your behavior is what dictates how you're treated, not anything other than that, right? And I think a lot of people really respond to that, where they feel like I'm not some token or I'm not something you're parading around. But then, I do have a goal that spectacles should represent its market. Right? Like we should match the demographics of the people around us. Not because I have like this, uh, as, you know, like I want to appear diverse. It's because I think that's the best way for improv. Again, it's a decision based on what's best for improv. I think that's the best way for improv to grow. When you have a, a multitude of perspectives representing the market that you're trying to entertain, I think you have the best, you're in the best position to bring those people in and connect with them. If we were all just one thing, then I think we'd only attract that one thing. Um, but also, anytime I've worked to achieve that diversity, it has always been behind the scenes. I'm never like, hey, we have a diversity scholarship. And I'm not saying this bad. I get why people say that. Because um, you want to be like, hey, come, like, we do this. You're welcome here. And I get why it's a welcome mat. Um, but I always think I never want anyone to feel like they're a token or like th that they are um, like, see, we have somebody. Uh, and I never want anyone in the program to know I'm doing things like that. Um, I'm always just trying to make the 
the best decision for improv. And sometimes that means when people audition, I'll be like, well, those people were equal. I would really like, because what's best for improv is the diverse uh, group of perspectives, I really think that we should go with this, this side, you know. Um, and I would never, in the conversation about casting, I never say, this is why I'm feeling that. I always talk about the merit of why I've made the decision. Um, so that's my personal perspective on that. Because, um, you know, what's funny is Orange County is not considered a diverse community. Uh, and so uh, I am very proud that when I can look at my drop-in and be like, there'll be like 20 people there and there'll be like everyone there from everywhere. And everyone's getting along and having a good time and we all go to lunch afterwards. And it's never because I make it a big deal. I just make it like, you're you, you're you. We're just people, we're individuals. And I think that ultimately, not to get into some highfalutin idea, I think that's ultimately what we want to achieve with all of our civil rights and our focus on diversity is essentially is like, you're just you. You're not anything other than that. And like, you know, if you, if you don't get opportunity or you do get opportunity, it's based on your actual behavior and not on anything that you can't control. Um, so I don't know. Again, I've not taken a course on this. I've not read some book. I've not been like spoken to about what's the best way to do it. That's just always been what's in my heart, and I've operated under that since the beginning, and it's worked out well. Okay, yeah, it's interesting, um, and it's it's funny how like it really stood out. Uh, and it's interesting to say Orange County isn't a very diverse community itself, but uh, yeah, it's really great to see. And yeah, I've thought that as well about you know when when there's you know, diversity scholarships. Um, it's, it's, it's always that niggling thing of well, is it and obviously people are doing it for the right reasons, but it's you know yeah you're right. Should we have to approach it like that? I mean, I do scholarships and I've considered you know having a diversity scholarship, but it just didn't feel like the, the honest approach or sincere. I don't even know if that's the right words, but I get yeah. what you're saying with, with that. Um, I get uncomfortable saying, hey, because of this thing you don't control, mm. you know, like you get this benefit I'm uncomfortable with that all around right so that bothers me in any direction so like I've tried to find a way where I philosophically go this is good for improv but it isn't also like turning somebody into a statistic yeah yeah you know yeah cool so um, we played together a couple of times uh, and again you have a very diverse approach to playing uh, is there a particular style or, or, or is there a particular form, format is there, what's, where's your fun spot for you where's your kind of I'm going to get off on this kind of show sure like uh, it's funny because I, I often feel like I'm turning into this really finicky sports car that only runs on this particular octane I do have this philosophy of being the show you're in right so like if when I'm in a goofy show I'm going to be goofy but the stuff that really moves me, the stuff I walk off stage going, man, that's what I want to do, is um, grounded, relatable improv that can touch you, but also make you laugh. Just feels, you just feel human. I want it to be utterly human. Um, and it's hard to achieve because everyone has to be on that same page. Because if I come into a scene being like, I'm going to be utterly human, and another person's like, I'm a bowling ball. I'm going to be like, okay, you know, so it gets harder to do that. It's a really fragile ecosystem to like performing in that. Uh, but that is the stuff I walk off stage going, this is what I want to do. Because I think improv right now, we're operating under the idea that it's limited, you know, um, of what it can achieve and what it can do. And people are just like 
I mean, there's a lot of work on the applied improv side, but people are just scratching the surface of what it's capable of. And um, I want to be part of the people that are pushing it towards all of the avenues it can do. Because um, there's definitely going to be people that are going to be focused on, we're here to make people laugh. And I think that's awesome. But I also want to, like, in my heart, go, like, I want to make people feel. I want to connect. I want to I affect them. And I want to be affected by them. And I want to, like, I want an improv scene to teach me something. Not, like, something about me or something about my scene partner or just something, right? And um, so that's generally my focus. I know it's weird and it's kind of different. No, I, I agree. Like, it's, you know, if, let's take the movies as a generic example. Yeah. We could go see a comedy tonight in the movie theater. And it could be the best comedy of all time, such as Spinal Tap. Yeah, uh, yeah that's we good. come out of it and we say, "Oh God, it was so great! It was such such fun." Which bar are we going to go to? And that's pretty much the end of the conversation. Yeah. But you know, if you go to a show and you're moved, that continue the conversation continues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, beyond that, and yeah, I think that's where a, a lot of you know we didn't probably, but that's where the potential is. And I I came to that realization from one of my own shows, and I realized, well, actually, there's more power if we can move. Making people laugh is kind of easy. Yeah, you know, but moving people, touching them, yeah. is is a lot harder to do in a sincere way. I think that if you get someone to care about a character, and for them to feel connected and maybe even like empathetic for whatever they're going through, and there's like that really sweet spot, and then you can get them to a laugh, that rising action from going to like a sad thing mm. into a laugh is exhilarating as a human. Yeah, I'll say like you never feel more alive when you're laughing through tears. You know, like that is like what I want to achieve. I that is like my dream, is to have an audience laughing through tears. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I would love it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And more of that, hopefully, is the um, well. It, it has to go. On. Uh, I remember. I think it was Tara Francisco said that when Dell was dying, his you know some of his final words were you know, uh, you know, uh, this stuff matter. No, I'm getting it wrong, but yeah, to find the meaning in what we do, I think is what he, what, what he t- she said he said and. You know, I often wonder if he was alive today, if he came back to Earth today, would he be pleased with what's happened, you know, what we're doing since then? I have to wonder because, I mean, our industry is so in love with the Herald, and, like, that's, like, 50, 60 years old at this point. I don't even know how old it is, right? And, like, it's everywhere. And I have to wonder, like, would he really be okay if, like, 60 years later, like, they weren't, like, that's still, like, a big deal? Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's true, it's true. But I guess, like, you and you're... More at the heart of it here, but you, you, you know, we see it here in Improv Utopia. Like there are teachers that are looking beyond uh, how to make it funny. Yeah. Um, and yeah, well, hopefully, when someone listens to this in ten years' time, they'll be saying, "Well, this podcast is dated." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> so, um, you also run the OCE Improv Festival. Yeah. Which was once described to me by uh, a random improviser as, "Oh, it's a really great fest because they get a keg." And <laughs> uh, there's a the festival is 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 very well respected, very well known. Oh, that's good um, to hear. But not just for in terms of the caliber of the performances and yeah. and that, but also you guys know how to host and throw a party. So tell us a little bit about the OCE Fest. <laughs> that's essentially um, all I want to do is everyone have a good time. I'm not focused on making, I want to make the slickest fest with a great gift bag or like I want to prove to people who I can bring in. My ultimate goal is for audiences to come in and have a great time because there's great stuff on stage. And I want the people, the performers that come to the fest to be able to to stick around and have a great time too. And it's one of the reasons why I got a keg. I got a keg not because I thought, oh, this would be nice to people. What I noticed is people would perform 
and then they would go downtown and drink with their team and not connect with everybody. And I went, how do I keep people here so we can connect? So they don't just go away and talk to the people they already know. Um, and what I realized is, oh, food and keg, like beer, right? Like here's beer and there's a liquor store right down there. So go buy anything, we'll hang out here. So I try and turn it into a party. And then Saturday night I have a taco guy come out because I want people to stick around. What's better than beer and tacos, right? Um, so that was always my goal is like, how can I make people stay here and connect? And how do I make sure the audience has a great time? And it's always based on what's going to present a really incredible night of improv. What's going to take risks here and there um, on different teams. But what, what do I know for a fact is going to be something unique and bring in energy? That's always been my goal. And like, I never, I never wanted to grow past one theater. Um, I really like it being controlled in like this, like three or four nights, you know? I don't have aspirations other than, hey, uh, you guys are invited to this party this year, you know, and we're going to have a good time because I think the shows are like, when you think about it as a performer, when you go to a festival, your show's like 20 minutes, 25 minutes long, and that's it. The rest of the time you're there, that's the festival, right? Which is like seeing other people perform that you don't get to see very often, connecting to someone from other theaters, maybe even LA that you never get a chance to connect to. So how do I create the best environment for that to happen? And that's always been my focus because I want to make friends. That's another thing about like networking, right? Like people think like, oh, networking, I want to connect with them so we can help each other. And I go, I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I think like, no, 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 go make friends. Networking will take care of itself, you know? That's awesome. I think, I think the <laughs> chef disagrees with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah so sorry. yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, like the improv festivals are like the corner store. I don't know if that's the thing here, but the corner store. They're the wall, not the Walmart. They're the corner store. Like there's, they're everywhere. Every city has yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've exploded in popularity. And particularly, you know, international festivals, you know, are, are, are very popular. You know, we see a lot of U.S. performers and teachers come to Europe now. And it's slowly starting, I think. Well, is it slowly starting? Well, hopefully it's slowly starting the other way around where Europeans are going to, going to the U.S. I would love to have a European at OCIF. So working on it. Working yeah, on it. yeah. <laughs> um, so you're you're a teacher. Um, tell us maybe something you've been working on recently that you're enjoying teaching, or even perhaps uh, I'm going to use air quotes for this a bad habit that you see that uh, you're seeing from a lot of improvisers you're teaching that you've been you know you've been working on that you want to share. Sure. Um, my biggest pet peeve is like it's really simple and it's just eye contact. Like um, it's such. I mean, I have all kinds of things that I really care about and I'm passionate about. Um, but so many scenes start with people not even looking at each other, mm. you know? And, like, how are you connected? You, mm. Because if you're in a scene with two people, they have 50% right ownership over the script, quote-unquote, yeah. right? So meaning if you're not looking at them, you're not getting 50% of the script. The audience can see everything, right? So, like, I always harp, harp, connect, 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 um, which is, like, the motto of spectacles, connect to the scene, you know, because it means, like, come hang out and be friends, but also, like, connect, um, and like people will like do space work or object work and they'll look at their hands and I always think like out of all the billions of people on the planet you are the one person that knows precisely what you're doing why are you spending so much time looking at that uh, also if you look at your hands like if you look at your object work while you're doing object work your brain is focused on that so the scene has a has a bad like fertile soil 
to be about the thing you're holding when that should never be what the scene's about. It should be about the other person, right? So if you're doing something in your hands and you're looking at the other person, this makes this activity about them, it makes you about them, and it creates a tension in the scene before it even starts. So there's like, I will watch so much improv where people just never look at each other, and I am like blown away by that. And if you go watch amazing improvisers, consistently the eye contact they give is crazy good because they don't want to miss any information. How can, you know, one of the, the things that people always say about improv is make your scene partner look good, make your scene partner look good. How can you make them look good when you don't even see them, right? So, like, it's, like, so fundamental. And, like, I've had people push back on that. There's, like, so much eye contact. And I go, I, like, it just, it, I think it's fertile ground for good improv choices and connection. And uh, I would, I've never given the note. You, you guys looked at each other too much. If, if that's your only bad habit, you're doing well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I always, like, I said, like, you know, just two people looking at each other is interesting. The yeah. audience starts going, why is that happening? Um, it creates a curiosity, and I like a curious audience. Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable with a curious audience, not like yeah. an audience that feels like, I'm comfortable to laugh at this. I'm way more comfortable with an audience that's like, who are these people? What's going on? Mm -hmm. I want them to be asking questions, because to, to me, that means they're engaged. Yeah. The shows I love, the when I watch shows, are the ones that create questions in my brain that I want answered. And I want my improv shows to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think eye contact starts you with questions like, why are these people looking at each other? Man, that guy's cleaning a gun while staring at the other guy. What's about to happen? Mm -hmm. You know, as opposed to like, if he's just looking at the gun, then it's, a, it's, an, it's an individual journey. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have tons of stuff that I'm passionate about in improv, but I think really the fundamentals are the things that we just need to keep teaching over and over and over again. Uh, so people have the habits because um, if you have to think about eye contact, then you're in your brain thinking. But if you consistently do eye contact, you do it without thinking, and yeah. then you're ready to build on it. Then it's a strong foundation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I hope that's what you're looking no, for. No, it is. It is. It's, it's good. Uh, did you do? No, you weren't in Brian O'Connell's. He gave us a the 21. Minute. No, I was not. No. Yeah, he was. He, you know, Brian shouting at us. The eye contact was a big focus of it, which is. We were outside, it was sunny yesterday, out in the grass, and he's like, take your sunglasses off. And again, big focus on exercise was eye contact. Yeah. So, you know, we saw that in action when he could tell when we weren't looking at each other versus when we did, but the exercise worked more fluidly. So yeah, there's yeah. A, lot of that, a lot of validity to it. So one other question for you. Um, and this comes with the caveat, you can't name anyone that you're involved with or that you have any, you know, you, this has to be a, gen, a, a general a general answer. So is there a show that uh, you've recently seen that you really enjoyed, just enjoyed as an improviser as opposed, not one that you're involved with? Mm -hmm. um, and it's not a popularity question, you don't have to like name your favorite show of all the time. So just maybe something you've seen in the last six, 12 months that you just really enjoyed. And well, I will tell you that um, there's two things, if, I, if you indulge me on that. Uh, consistently, my favorite improviser on the planet that I've ever seen is named Levin O'Connor. He teaches at uh, the West Side. Uh, confident, casual, like it, there's never see him sweat. You know, he just makes choices and does it. And I just he's in the moment. And he, every time I've ever watched him, I'm in love with the stuff he does. Um, when it comes to like a team I've seen recently, uh, I'm just a big fan of Dummy. Uh, I think they work really well together. And that's what I've noticed about teams. It's not about, like, teams having a common mission is huge. I think it's huge. But it's also, like, the marrying of the ensemble, the skills. And I think Jason's skills with Colleen's skills just work so well together. You know, um, so I'm a huge fan of Dummy. Uh, I love, adore watching them. If I wish I lived closer to where they perform, I would be there every single Thursday. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, and not only that, they're great people. Mm. So yeah, and yeah. they're here this weekend teaching. Yeah, yeah. I did Colleen's workshop yesterday. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, very high energy. Yeah. Cool. Well, Josh Nichols, thank you very much. Thank you, man. Yeah.